Welcome to another episode of Tell Me About Your Father's Daddy Issues, where we talk about who or what in recent pop culture and current events is or is not our dad right now. I'm Elizabeth Thompson. I'm Erin Hosier. Today, we are super excited to welcome to the show writer Emily Gould. Hi! Hello! Welcome! Emily is a very special guest, the author of the essay collection and The Heart Says Whatever, the novel Friendship. Her newest novel, Perfect Tunes, is out now on paperback. She is also the co-founder of Emily Books, a publishing and distribution platform that ran from 2011 to 2020, and is a contributor to Slate's parenting column, Care and Feeding. Emily, welcome to the show. Oh my Yay. god. Thank you guys. That was such a nice <laughs> rundown of my bio. I Is there anything else you want to add? Yeah. No, I forget everything about myself that I've ever done. Everybody keeps saying we're returning to normal, even though I don't think life will ever feel normal for at least a, a good while after this. How are you <sighs> doing? What's going on in your world right now? I mean, I can't complain. It's really not that bad for me at the moment. Like my kids are in some form of school and childcare most of the day, all day. And I was just thinking about like what my life was like a year ago this week and just reflecting on the fact that like, I mean, it was, I still don't even really have the words for like how bad it was. Like just during the time in New York when the playgrounds were closed, people aren't designed to parent in a vacuum. And it was like a production of No Exit, but just with like children. How many? <laughs> how many kids do you have and what are their ages? Like eight or nine. No, I have I have two kids. I'm, I live in New York. They both have June birthdays, so they'll be six and three respectively during the month of June. I know. And you've written and published so much work, Emily. It's incredible. Yesterday I was babysitting for my, I say soft two-year-old nephew. He is like 23 months. It's not like he's almost three. And I was doing like mom's in the office with the door closed. So Auntie E is trying to finagle the Fisher-Price uh, tablet. And I couldn't figure out how to turn the fucking thing on. And I'm like, how do I do this? And he locks eyes with me and he pushes the button underneath where it's supposed to be pushed. Like he knows. We had a <laughs> sentient exchange and I was like, this 23-month-old is so much further along and capable than I am right now. How do you do it? Yeah, I mean, tablets and devices and phones really like are, it's it's so great. I've already started to forget the part of parenting where like you really can't leave the baby unattended because like that would be child abuse. And now, you know, like we get up on the weekends and we just give them whatever screens and then we go back to sleep and we sleep until like 10 and it's that's just like how we survive Thank our you lives. For saying that. Yeah. Yes. And also like babysitting is so much harder than parenting. Cause like parenting, <laughs> you know, you don't really feel an obligation to like try. You're not performing <laughs> for anyone. You're not like trying to win. You're not trying to win anyone over. Like they have to like kids. So like you, you know, yeah, you, like, it's you, emotional work. You're like, he will remember my name. He will remember that I'm the favorite. He will love me best. Yeah, whereas you know? like I gave up a long time ago on trying to 
like actually putting any effort into being fun. Like occasionally I'll have a day where I'm like, all right, I'm really going to bring my A game. Like we're going to go to the zoo and I'm going to have a long conversation with you about who is your favorite character in like the girl Ghostbusters movie, which is our number one movie right now, by the way, for some reason, Ghostbusters 2016 has like no fan base outside of my child. Maybe I've been sort of, you know, Stockholm Syndrome into feeling this way because I've seen it four times now, but I really feel like it got a bad rap. Girl Ghostbusters. Yeah, we saw it in the theater. It was fun. Melissa McCarthy's very funny, you know? Everyone in it is pretty funny. Like they're Kate McKinnon's funny. Yeah. Kate McKinnon. Kate, I can't Leslie believe she Jones. slept with Barry Weiss. I just can't look at her anymore without oh, thinking about Barry Weiss. That's just hard. Did that back. really happen? Oh yeah, they oh. were like they had a relationship yes. for like a long time. That is so hard to accept deep inside. There's that apparently is. this like huge sexual charisma that Barry Weiss has. I've never met her in person, what? so I cannot attest to it personally. But like everyone who's met her is like, no. oh yeah. She's got like you know just this amazing like animal magnetism. Like okay, I guess what? that yeah, that explains it. But what's it like being married to the father of your children? Is there competition? Do you see him in a new way now that he is you know a father of two? I mean, <laughs> I hate him, but also love him. I do love him I really do I really do and I also like I resent how much it's like a cliche to like hate your husband you know but you know I do um the the thing that was hot and sexy at the beginning of our relationship was feeling like we were working in the same space and we could feel sort of a little competitive with each other and I was just so young and and naive at that time that I thought like oh I'll pull ahead of him somehow like Mm. it doesn't matter that he's seven years older than me and went to Harvard and then Syracuse for his MFA I'll get ahead of him I will exceed where he started somehow in life and part of me still thinks that I could somehow do that but it's gonna take a while (laughs) really and I have really hobbled myself by by having these kids um I know just just if you think of it in terms of pure years of our lives like I will turn 40 in October Keith was 40 when I was pregnant with Rafi he had his entire 30s to just do whatever which for him included like working really hard and accomplishing a bunch of stuff but also with no obligation to you know pay or like not live with roommates (laughs) yeah or like have your body destroyed by having a person inside it like how could I not resent him he really he's starting from like a real disadvantage in terms of me like not not resenting him but we are on the same team because it is at the end of the day it's a joint bank account so I want him to succeed but it just also there are only so many hours in the day and that's never been more clear than like during the past year it's hard but I do I like him and I wouldn't want to be married to someone who I wouldn't be able to like gossip with about yeah you know I don't know like overrated people who work in the New Yorker. (laughs) Anyone that can gossip with me, I love it when men are good gossips. I find like that, that real, just rare, the like diamond in the rough, the person who like isn't a writer, but still reads books and magazines and like cares about them. And like they exist, Mm -hmm. you know, but yeah, when you find one, 
I don't know. When I find a person like that, like man or woman, I just want to study them. And I'm like, like, how did you hear? Did you hear about it on NPR? Like, oh my God. Okay. That's interesting. That's a data point for me. Emily, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Perfect Tunes. Before we started recording, The Pandemic Hit Right Is This, really amazing book that, for lack of a better word, triggered the shit out of me because I moved to New York in 2005. There was so much familiarity there for me, and you describe places in the East Village and the Lower East Side, but I very much related to a lot of the descriptions of the friendship between the protagonists, Laura and her friend Callie. Laura's kind of insecure and shy and Callie's on and cool girl. But there's a couple parts that I just wanted to read out loud because they're so good. Specifically, your description of the hunky heartthrob who Laura first meets who's in a band and his name is Dylan, which is Thank you for picking the hottest boy name, Dylan. It's a classic. It is. But you describe him as reminding her of a boy from her hometown who'd played Jesus in a high school production of Godspell, skinny and tall with long, pale, stringy hair, and he never looked up from his guitar. I was like, oh my God, it's perfect. She gets us. There's descriptions in the book about Laura having to leave her baby daughter at home to maybe pursue getting back into, she has some success as a singer songwriter and then she ends up getting pregnant and her career is sort of halted while she's figuring out how to be a single mother in her 20s. Mm. There's two scenes I wanted to talk to you about. The first one is an amazing portrait, I think, of just what it's like. And I say this is also like Aaron, I'm, I'm only an aunt at this point. I'm an aunt to a four-year-old boy, but I've seen my sister in these moments where the baby or the the toddler or the small child always at the worst possible time manages to vomit and then shit like all within the span of like minutes. And you have this very harrowing description of her trying to figure out Laura's at work. Her daughter's sick. She has to run home. She's covered in vomit. She's trying to clean them both off. And then when she's putting the baby's Marie's diaper back on, she makes eye contact with her daughter. You describe it as perfect moments glittering brilliantly between the horrors. I just loved that description so much. Talk about punk rock. It is harrowing. Gigi Allen could never, okay? As nothing on this baby. <laughs> um, I'll just read one more. I like reading out loud to authors when they're on the show about what they've written. I love it. I love it. So this is Laura is talking to her friend Callie, who's basically like, I don't get why you can't just get a sitter and stick your baby with the sitter. You wrote to childless people, children were a logistical problem to be solved. Find a way to pay for and arrange childcare and you were free. They didn't understand that even when you weren't with your child, the child continued to exist in a part of your brain that you had to consciously work to silence or as a low hum of anxiety that colored everything. Either way, you were fucked. Either way, pleasure and creativity were sacrificed entirely or only permitted in small doses. I loved that, you know. It's a side of motherhood that no one talks about or that very few people talk about is like the the constant hum. I like how you describe the hum in the background of wondering and worrying if you're being a bad parent. I I think it's definitely that way for Laura. That's Mm -hmm. definitely her experience of her relationship with her daughter 
And it was definitely like that for me, especially in the early years of my first son's life, like very intensely. And it it got a little different, like it got a little better. I think the, the reason that it's not accepted as a societal norm that it is that way is that like, maybe some people are more capable of like turning down the volume on that. But it it's something that I've talked to a lot of people about. It is a really common experience, not just for mothers, like for parents. Like for parents, it, yeah. we, I definitely thought before I had kids that I would just be able to hand them to the nearest warm body and go do my thing like I'd always done. And I completely just discounted the, I don't want to use sort of like therapy speak to, to describe it, but I think it's connected to the idea that like we sometimes talk about of like the mental load, like the thing that mm-hmm. w- women and like caretakers traditionally do more of that's not actually like doing the household tasks, but just knowing what they are. And it's yeah. like that, but for your soul, it's like something much, much deeper, like the sort of like soul load that you carry around. It becomes very different because you're just like more aware of the consequences of mm. not just everything that's happening in your life but like everything that's happening in the world in the world like this person who's gonna goddess willing continue to exist for much longer than you will it just gives everything so much more weight so you can't really have fun in the same way that you used to you have to figure out how to climb out of that i'm making it sound so dark no no it's perfect for us it eased up for me having another child paradoxically made it better and easier I think because Mm, I felt like when I just had one child I was like okay if I'm not like laser focused on him at all times I'm like failing somehow and then I had another child Mm -hmm. and I was like oh that's literally impossible and it always was so that just it took the pressure off because I'm like okay I'm gonna fail this a little bit all the time and it's fine like it's mostly fine I hope they have each other they do do they get along with each other they're three years apart so it's like Ilya, like, yeah. just got to be old enough to, like, really hold his own in a wrestling match. But they do, <laughs> like, they're into each other. They loom large in each other's lives. And when yes. and when Rafi isn't there and Ilya would prefer that he is there, he's like, where's my brother? I want my brother. You know, like, like, he idolizes him. So that's really great. Um, oh, yeah, sweet. It's nice. It's. I hope that they will be friends that's like a next level dream that they will continue yeah. to be friends they're not very similar but maybe it will be one of those sort of like opposites attract like Ilya will be sort of a grounding presence for Rafi yeah. who is like so many planets in Gemini <laughs> <laughs> well should we move it on to talk about who our dads were and were this week we're going to start with saying who our dads were not this week and just a reminder to our listeners at home a refresher when we say that someone or something isn't our dad, it means that we think that that person, place, or thing, any noun, has been recently infuriating, tragic, cruel, or just a massive disappointment. Um, I'm going to kick us off by saying that not my dad this week is the fucking Friends reunion. (laughs) First of all, they have been talking about doing this for for like 10 years. Maybe 20. Like every two weeks, it's like, the Friends Reunion, the Friends Reunion. So they finally do this stupid Friends Reunion, or I think it's coming out this week, and it just looks horrible. What is it? An isolated get-together? I think it's like a reunion where they talk. I think. I don't know. I mean, I have a block about this. But here's the thing. As a geriatric millennial, this show's staying power is baffling to me. Like, I can, I can understand 
why it was successful in the 90s. It had all of the like kind of success points of 90s television. Like it was kind of conflict free. It wasn't very inventive. There were no black people in it. It took place in New York, but it wasn't New York. There was no diversity. No one struggled with anything. I think it followed Seinfeld, and that's why it became so popular. It, it was about the Thursday night lineup on NBC. I think it was on before Seinfeld, if memory serves. If memory serves, it led into Seinfeld, but it was part of appointment TV on Thursday night. That's right. Here's my thing about it. It's not funny. No. It was never funny. It has no staying power. I can't think of a single joke on the show except for the character of Chandler being having a TV guide sent to him that was addressed to someone named Chandler Bong, which like, I remember that joke. I don't remember anything else about the show like the humor and the writing on the show feels like watching something slide off a pane of glass very true i just want to push back a little bit which is that lisa kudrow is hilarious and she is even hilarious in friends and she's just a very very talented comedic performer so no lisa kudrow slander here that's a good point. Yeah. The thing about it is like, I, yeah, I, to me, it's not even about their ability to act. It's that it was never funny. The thing about it is like, I think that all of the actors on the show are, are okay. Like, I think some of them are better than others. But like, yeah, I, to me, it's not even about their ability to act. It's that it was never funny. If TV has changed so much for the better since Friends was on, then why are we so nostalgic for its mediocrity? Mm. And therefore, the Friends reboot is not my dad. Friends, I hate you. And I'm tired of hearing about the reunion. And cut to it, you know, next year, they're going to be like, we're going to do a movie. Wouldn't it be funny if like Kim Cattrall was like, I will appear on that instead of the Sex and the City reboot. (laughs) <laughs> Kim Cattrall like went over to the Friends reboot. That's but kind of yeah. What if Lisa Kudrow so. was like, actually, I won't do this. I know I'm too good for this. And Kim Cattrall was like, smelly cat, smelly cat, smelly cat, feeding you. We do yeah. know that we do know Kim can scat from those weird videos of her scatting. Emily, I think she, you've just created a, a new crossover she's show. She's a talented woman, also an author. <laughs> Many times over, oh, that's true. With her ex-husband about how to have sex, about the female orgasm. Um, Emily, who or what is not your dad this week or lately? Oh my god, I really tried to think of a good one. Like I thought about it all week. There are so many things that are not my dad, and they're all way too niche. That's fine. I mean, I I think the thing this week that I felt trolled by and, and resented and felt sad that I had read it or engaged with it at all even though like I just going into it I knew that it was going to be bad for me was this article in the Guardian about how uh, hard it is to be a straight white male author now that the literary world is dominated by uh, like women oh you guys (laughs) it was kind of it sounds like I'm making a joke um it's true I mean so somebody actually did print that essay that I've been hearing about ad nauseum, like from actual real life people, writers. 
who are who feel slighted because of their gender and their race right now yeah so somebody actually you, you don't have to name them but it was just somebody wrote an op-ed and it was published yeah it, no it wasn't an op-ed it was like a reported it was a reported well, piece reported I should remember either the person's name or like the headline or really anything about it but I was just so <laughs> I, was, I was like can we from <laughs> Satan and like close the tab as soon as I finished it and tried to pretend that it had never happened but then like there was discourse about it so I kept being reminded of it because people were sort of like obscurely subtweeting it you know I think the reporter to her credit wanted to make the point that like yes some people feel this way and here's some evidence to the contrary and some evidence to support the idea that like maybe it's not like the best time to be a debut novelist who is writing a bildungsroman about being a straight white man and even though I don't even think that's true, like I, I understand like why that merited discussion mm. in a real newspaper, but I was still just like, come on, <laughs> come on, <laughs> seriously, we don't even get like yeah. a, a year <laughs> I know. of after however yeah. long it's been all of human history. Um, get a yeah, no, we can't have that. I do think that it probably is a little harder now to be like a guy who's like graduating from his MFA program and shopping his like strings together into a novel short story collection. Yeah. You know, um, is that a bad thing? Hmm, maybe, mm-hmm. maybe it's sort of a neutral thing to me. Yeah. But I do also think that it's just like harder and less prestigious and there's less money and career opportunity associated with being an author in general because there are like no academic jobs and the real money is in TV, which is like the dominant cultural medium. So like, you know, yeah. women and they's are going to I guess take the leftovers of that industry and make the most of them yeah the most hundred dollars you've ever made in your life ka-ching baby (laughs) yes I am cashing this three hundred dollar royalty check and I am gonna go straight to an unlimited uh, (laughs) buffet of some nature And you're also using our podcast to announce you will be writing on the next Friends reboot in 2035. From your list to the goddess's ears. Because truly, like, TV writing is the dream. Erin, who's not your dad this week? Tell us about it. Well, it's been a week. You know, you and I have been texting about this a lot. Oh, yeah. The fracas this week around the divorce announcement by the affable writer, comedian, John Mulaney, who we all love, who recently completed a 60-day stay in rehab, announced his divorce from his wife of six years, artist Anna Marie Tindler, who we also kind of have a soft spot for in New York and feel like we know them as a couple, even though we don't. She was also reportedly in treatment um, for emotional issues, depression. So I think it was Monday that this news broke. And at first we were just sad that the news broke. And then Anna Marie released a statement. I am heartbroken that John has decided to end our marriage. I wish him support and success as he continues his recovery. Mulaney's rep told page six, John will have no further comment as he continues to focus on his recovery and getting back to work. 
And then following that announcement, People Magazine confirmed that Mulaney and actress Olivia Munn are newly dating. Quote, this is very new. They're taking it slowly, a source close to Mulaney said. They met at church in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. So before I get to Olivia Munn, I just want to add a new character to this fracas, which is Chris Rock, just a couple days ago, added his two cents when he was on Jimmy Fallon. Chris Rock is 56 years old. He went on The Tonight Show, and he shared that he gave some friendly advice to John Mulaney, who was 38, when he saw him recently doing stand-up. Reflecting on his split from his own ex-wife, the comedian joked about how much money he lost during the divorce. The other night, I saw Mulaney. Mulaney's working on some new stuff. Mulaney's getting divorced, Rock says. This is how much money I lost in my divorce. I recommended my ex-wife's divorce lawyer. I was like, you should get this guy. He'll get you your money. And Jimmy Fallon says, that's a friend. Ha ha ha. The two share a laugh. Ha ha. Ha ha, everybody. Ugh, disgusting. So the reason why this stings so much is because John Mulaney is that guy that you're describing, Emily. Like when I reflect on my uber super single years in my 30s, especially in New York dating, I just waited to meet my John Mulaney, you know, like a nerdy, kind, a reader, funny you know, part of my extended circle or, and also the sadness of the, the loss of sobriety. Apparently he'd, he'd been sober for 20 years. Mm-hmm. Enter the spider, Olivia Munn. <laughs> Olivia fucking Munn. Yeah. Who is she? She's an actress. She's 40 years old. Olivia Munn is one of those actors that always has something to add to any conversation. She is the most unself-aware person ever to complain to gofugyourself.com, for instance. (laughs) Pick a topic. She's inserted herself into it. I did a quick Google of headlines from the last few years. In Forbes... After an emotionally abusive relationship, I'm finally focusing on me, says Olivia Munn. In People magazine, who she seems to have a really close relationship with. Folks, if you're in People, that means People is taking calls from the publicist of the star. That is not unsubstantiated gossip. It is the most matronly of all gossip magazines. Thank you. Well, last year, uh, people released this headline, Olivia Munn has fibromyalgia. How about Olivia Munn's battle with trichotillomania, which is when you compulsively pull your hair out. She's posed nude for both PETA and Carl's Jr. I have two. (laughs) (laughs) Emily has two. If only. She claims to really care about body image. That is one of her things, right? Healthy body image. But she inexplicably wrote a memoir called Suck It, Wonder Woman, The Misadventures of a Hollywood Geek in 2010, in which she writes, quote, 
I will fix America's obesity problems by taking all the motorized transport away from fat people. Mm. And in turn, I will build an infrastructure of fat tunnels where all the fat, fat, fat people can walk. This will create jobs and subsequent weight loss. Oh, wow. Okay, in her defense in 2010, we didn't know anything was bad yet. That That's was, true. That was before we learned <laughs> that you had to be a good person in any way. Yeah. We had and no it, concept. And you can tell, like, that was the moment of, what were those lad mags? And also, like, a dork, like, a dorkable, a new girl, and being a dork, and, yeah. Cool girl, and being chill, and having your co-writer be a guy when you're, you know, writing a, a memoir called uh, Suck It, Wonder Woman. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But the thing is, lately we're just so shook that Olivia Munn also has a long history of making public comments about how she wants to get with John Mulaney, even though he's always been with Anna Marie. This is from 2015, or she's talking about 2015. Quote, we were at a wedding together and I was like, oh my gosh, do you and your fiance want to go have dinner or something and go hang out? The predator actress 40 recalled during a 2015 conversation with HuffPo. She was literally in the movie Predator. Yeah, that is that was predatory of her. I know. That's gotta be. I think they knew what they were doing. Yeah, that wasn't like an accident. So... Now they're dating and they met at church. Busy? Discuss. I mean, here's the thing. I can't talk about this without sounding like the art teacher from Ghost World because my father, I am the daughter of a father, you know, who blew his own life up, so to speak, when I was in high school. I think, as you said, you we feel like we know this person from his stand-up and because there's nothing I think more relatable than humor as like a tool to understand people and their worldviews and their anxieties and the things they don't like about themselves. And he does such a good job of doing that in a way that men typically don't do in comedy and more so than just like my wife, she's a saint. I mean, he often talked about how much better of a person she was than him, but in a way that was really smart. And so I think you walk away feeling like you know them and you feel extra betrayed when predator actress Olivia Munn is, is possibly waiting in the wings, but we don't know. We don't know their stuff. However, it's hard for me to even look at the story without being like, and he walked out on her and he's a dick and she's, you know, like we don't fucking know. I don't know. As the daughter of someone who watched her dad have a midlife crisis and then also, similarly to Mulaney, he had a column in the newspaper in Phoenix, would talk about how great, you know, oh, I took my daughter to call my little girl to her, you know, dropped her off at her freshman dorm and all this shit. And so people often would come up to me and it really, my sister and I both hated it because they'd be like, oh, it must be so great being his daughter and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, I didn't sign up for being a character in his writing, number one. Number two, it's his perception of what he wants his life to be. And this is a form of entertainment and it's sad. And I hope that he can stay sober and I hope he can peel. And I hope that his ex-wife, I think what was also upsetting about that People Magazine thing is that it seemed very clear that she, that they're on different pages. It seems like 
for her to say I'm heartbroken suggests that they are not in sync with each other. This is not a coordinated, you know, our publicists work together to put out some sanitized announcement that our marriage is over. And so I think that also was alarming to people and upsetting. But I hope that his ex-wife, soon-to-be ex-wife, has a lot of support, and I hope he has a lot of support, and I have no comment about predator actress Olivia Mudd. Yeah, and uh, Jimmy Kimmel, you know, shame on you. No, Jimmy Fallon, but also Jimmy Kimmel, fuck him. All the Jimmys. Anyone named Jimmy. Jimmy Kimmel, you know, we know, Emily, you've had your own experiences with him, as you wrote in your wonderful essay about shame for the cut that I cried reading on my couch. That's the highest but, compliment is crying. I feel like I say I'm, this being like, I love it. I love to hear people when people cry. But when you know you got tears. Yeah, I agree. But one of the reasons why I hate Jimmy Kimmel besides how he treated you in that moment is his responsibility for the man show, which he takes no responsibility for. The man show to me, the fact that there is a man show to Entertainment Today pipeline that still exists is shocking to me. Like Joe Rogan came from the man show. Jimmy Kimmel came from the man show. I don't think anyone cares what Adam Carolla is doing these days, but he came from the fucking I'm sure Adam Carolla made more money last year than any of us. He is huge, yeah. I fell asleep as a teenager listening to Love Line. Like, I still feel weird about that, you know? Yeah, we have an episode about it where we play clips, and they are shocking. They're shocking. Do you remember this, Emily? On Love Line... They, when girls would call in and be like, usually it was, it was women with like higher pitched voices. They would be like, oh, someone was molested. And then they would take bets about yeah. what had, they thought had happened Holy to them. Shit. Oh my God. Right? Yeah. Like Dr. Drew is obviously an idiot now, but in hindsight, I'm like, you were supposed to be the adult in the room and you were playing along with Adam Carolla on this taking bets with warp tour bands about what happened to this girl who's trying to get help from you fuck you no carceral but like all of these men should be in jail <laughs> yeah for real we believe in a carceral state if it if it means jailing anyone responsible for love line and the man show yeah just them just make a podcast together that no one hears except each other forever. Oh my god, what a good what a good punishment that no one can listen to their podcast but each other with them. That's, a, that's the circle of hell that they will inhabit. Joe, Joe Rogan would just stop talking. He would be rocking in the corner if that was his punishment. Yeah. <laughs> you well, let's move into who our dads were this week. They have to interview each other. It's like yeah. today's guest <laughs> again. <laughs> okay, let's move into who our dads were this week. If we decide something or someone is our dad, it means we think it or they have recently shown big boss energy tempered by compassion, intelligence, and or vulnerability. I'm going to start us off. My dad this week is Lana Del Rey. Her new album, Blue Bannisters, is coming out 4th of July. And why she's my father is because she doesn't care. And I know that she's problematic and that she has said and done a lot of questionable things lately and in the past year. However, I really appreciate that the album art that she released was made using 
like an app that someone would use to make a Minions meme about needing coffee in the morning. It's just like a selfie that she's put a filter on and then there's like hand-drawn like scrapbooky stuff in the corners and then like kind of like a, a loopy font and um, she doesn't give a shit. And a lot of asshole graphic designers on the internet have been making fun of her and being like, we redesigned your album cover for you. You're welcome. Like kind of like people competing with each other to redo the artwork. And she's not backing down. She is keeping this as her artwork and I appreciate it. I do think there's nothing more big boss energy than just being like, here, I made this in two seconds on Instagram. You know, her, her lyrics can be a little question mark, um, but I love her melodrama. I've always loved her melodrama and I love her voice and I love how tired she sounds when she sings. Like she doesn't really want to put all the effort into finishing or enunciating kind of like a French accent like it's a lot of like like it's kind of like (laughs) barely finishing the word and I won't even try because to mimic her because I'll sound like Elmo on Valium but I love that so much of her is about not caring or at least being very tired and I think that that is cool I think it's the antithesis of most pop stars today when they're singing and I love her for that reason so Lana Del Rey never questioned the fact that you did release terrible album artwork. It's okay. And Lana, you're my dad this week. Aaron, you guys, Naomi Campbell, supermodel, icon, 50 years young. She had a baby. Maybe she didn't have it herself with her body, but she perhaps made it. She posted... um, one of those adorable photos of like little baby feet with no nothing else on Instagram and said a beautiful little blessing has chosen me to be her mother so honored to have this gentle soul in my life there are no words to describe the lifelong bond that I now share with my angel there is no greater love I'm happy for her and I'm expressing that here but I immediately was reminded of 1994 because Naomi Campbell had an album come out called Baby Woman with a song also called Baby Woman I don't think that was the banger but we are going to play a little bit of it here it's notable because the cover art is mostly what I remember it's Naomi sitting on a toilet wearing a cocktail dress and heels, shaving one leg that's propped up on a bathtub with like inexplicably like shaving cream. <laughs> and the toilet paper roll is visible. So it's it's not folded at the corners, if you know what I mean. <laughs> so, all right, I'll give you a little bit of the baby woman. Here are some of the lyrics. The It's hard to find the chorus in there, but there actually was one. There's a pre-chorus that says, hey, baby woman, watch, don't touch. I'm no Venus de Milo. You're really something. I'm a funky bouquet of the flowers I grow. And the chorus is honey made in heaven, lots of sugar-coated lovin'. She want her cherry poppin' baby 
living in a heart-shaped world. This was written by Maurice Caesar and Gavin Friday. I thought you were going to say Maurice Sendak. <laughs> it should have been written by Maurice Sendak. I mean, it's so much poetry. I went on Genius.com to like look up what was the substance here. Like, why baby woman? No answers. No annotations on Genius.com. But Gavin and Maurice also wrote, fun fact, the theme song to In the Name of the Father, the film starring Daniel Day-Lewis, <laughs> performed by Bono. I just wanted to read a few of the lyrics. In the name of whiskey, in the name of song, you didn't look back, you didn't belong. In the name of reason, in the name of hope, in the name of religion, in the name of dope. In the name of freedom, you drifted away to see the sun shining on someone else's day. <laughs> Whatever. Lana Del Rey could run laps around that. Ah. Anyway, the, the album sold at least a million copies and was big in Japan. Baby Woman. That actually reminds me of Lana Del Rey because on one of her last albums, she has a very strange song about being loving someone like a woman, but also like a baby. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Emily, do you know what I'm talking about? Do I know what you're talking about? She's going to hold you. <laughs> Let me love you like a woman. Let me hold you like a baby, which like just a copy editor needed to be involved. In. Maybe that baby is really muscular. <laughs> <laughs> just a supportive baby. Um, I can't believe we all have pop pop icons as Yay. our dads this week. Uh, my dad this week is Sinead O'Connor. Yes! yes right so Sinead has a new memoir out called rememberings and so it is doing some press for rememberings was interviewed by amanda hess who did a profile mm -hmm. in the new york times that i thought was just so good and also i just feel like Sinead is doing really well and i'm so glad I'm so, that she's yeah. alive for starters mm -hmm. and seriously like the fact that Sinead is alive and it's yeah. 2021 is it's, just phenomenal and amazing. Mm -hmm. And we should all be really grateful. It's just true. For um, but also I really like just like the therapy and perspective and appropriate medication have brought Sinead yep. to now where mm -hmm. she's like, yeah, you know, if you were looking at my story from the outside, it seems like the worst thing that ever happened to me that derailed my career as a pop star was actually the best thing that ever happened to me. Um, ripping up the Pope on SNL incident because it derailed my career as a pop star, which is not mm -hmm. what I was meant to be. That's amazing. That's like the Britney Spears situation. I wish that it could be <laughs> the Britney Spears situation. It's yeah. not the situation for everyone who has had a moment where just the amount of hatred that she yeah. had to absorb for being right. I mean, she was clearly mm -hmm. right. It right. was too early for her to say that. And it was probably always going to be too early for her to say that so aggressively. Like, definitely the culture was yeah. not ready, and they especially weren't ready to hear it. It was so awesome when it happened. Amazing. I remember being young when it happened and being like, what, what did she do that was so bad? She made a statement. 
on Saturday Night Live. And wasn't it wasn't it a statement about how much sexual abuse the Catholic Church is responsible for, which is now a duh. Like it derailed the show. It was a real scandal. She was banned for life. People were protesting. There were boycotts. It truly ruined her career, and she was at the height of it. Yeah, that must have been very lonely for her, and. I don't know, painful to be right and be vilified for it. She's strong, like just a phenomenal person that really comes through in this. Like nothing compares to you, I feel like was on a loop through our childhood on MTV with the single tear rolling down her cheek and the cropped and shot of her. And she has such a beautiful voice. You feel so much. She actually has a so lot much. of like really great songs, even on like much later albums. Um, yeah. mm-hmm. There's this one that I thought you guys would like because of the name of this podcast called Daddy I'm Fine. Ooh, tell us. Yeah, I should have like queued it up to play you a little bit of it. But, you know, like, don't worry, I'm I'm living my life as like a grown woman. I'm figuring stuff out. Like, you don't have to worry about me. Yeah, powerful, like owning her sexuality as an adult woman kind of vibe. And it's very rare to have like a pop song about that. Don't worry, parents. <laughs> I'm okay. Yeah, I'm okay. <laughs> not too much going down for girls whose only hope was not to find a man who could piss in a pot so early i heard my first guitar and i knew i wanted to be a big star and i told my poor worried father said i ain't gonna go to school no more yeah i like that but i think her best to me like Mandinka is just like a banana mm. song and mm-hmm. if you've ever tried to karaoke it that is just like vocally <laughs> very 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 challenging is that your white whale karaoke song <laughs> there's a lot that I now acknowledge is outside of my capabilities <laughs> my vocal range is like you know I'm a bass basically I'm like a <laughs> yeah it's my range, my range is like very tiny like one little section of the keyboard and that's it <laughs> I have like one octave <laughs> well, that means you can do a lot of Lana if you're a, if you're a bass when you're talking about Lana's vocal stylings like in her sort of like mm-hmm. laziness it is true that she has a very laid-back stage presence and I love that about her yeah, as a pop star that she just, she's just like there's this obligation now you know like everyone has to be like a multi-hyphenate and be like an amazing dancer mm-hmm. and put on a crazy Vegas style show and she's like no I'm I'm not gonna do that i'm gonna have a band i'm gonna have two hot backup dancers who are also singers yes. and they're gonna dance but i'm not gonna dance and at one point in the show i'm gonna lie down on the floor and sing that. lying Good down on the floor and that's wonderful but actually singing like she sings i don't know if you've ever tried it but like it's really hard because she has a lot of like syncopation like she has a lot mm. like she kind of has a flow um you really mm-hmm. see the influence of like one of her idols, Eminem. 
You know that thing that was on um, TikTok that was like a little mini TikTok trendlet a few weeks ago where people were going, Jen and the Man Music Business Conference. Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't even, I couldn't even do it. Jen and the Man Music Business Conference. Um, it's really hard. I can't do it. And it's hard to sing along with. You actually do a great llama. Post pandemic, I'm going to get in the karaoke room and get my skills back up to where they used to be. That's so interesting that Eminem, I haven't even thought about that. I hadn't either. Well, her song that's on Blue Bannisters, it's called Wildfires. Like the second line of the song is, it was Alana saying under her breath, because I know you want to talk about it. Like, it's like, she's saying, because I know you want to talk about it, but it's this aside. It's like, but yeah, the syncopation of like, like, I don't even know how to describe it. She's very good at doing that under her breath and then moving on to like a full blasted out kind of chorus it's very good well there's none of that on baby woman and (laughs) i love that we have really covered a lot of perfect tunes in this episode today you nailed it Emily, you, we need to have a do-over press tour post-pandemic where you go and do a reading at like like Bowery Ballroom or something and just send everyone back to 2005 Lower East Side, East Village. I should do a DJ set where I'm yes. like... Yes, yes, yes. And come back anytime. Come back anytime. I guess that's it for Daddy Issues. Emily, thank you so much for joining us. Fun, so fun and to talk to you guys. We love you. Love and you we're so excited that you came on. And thank you so much for spending your Friday afternoon with us. My pleasure. Talk soon. Thanks for listening. Tell Me About Your Father and Daddy Issues are produced by me, Erin Hosier, Elizabeth Busy Thompson, and Matthew Matt Phil. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter at Tell Me About Your Father. And you can hear more of our exclusive Bad Dad series on Patreon.com, where we do deep dives into the dads and pop culture we can neither forgive nor forget. That's Patreon.com for as little as $3 a month. Thank you.